Let us pray. God, we give you thanks this day for this Pentecost message that you have for us, the, the word from scripture and uh, the word that we might receive each individually from you. God, we give you thanks and we ask your blessing on your word as we hear it today. Amen. I'm actually going to do things a little bit differently today. Our scripture, the full scripture lesson is in the bulletin. It's also obviously in the Bible, and I encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, a little bit later in the sermon, I'm going to share with you uh, some of the words from the, um, the Pentecost story. And so today's message, like I say, it's a, little bit, it's a little bit different. And I think part of the reason for that is because of the way that I've been sitting with this text and also sitting with this holiday, this day of Pentecost. And as I was studying and preparing for today's sermon, I kept coming back to um, one part of the story, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But that part of the story led me to think a lot about words. And I've been thinking a lot about words lately. Now, words have always fascinated me from the sound, everything from the sound of the words to to looking at the derivations of the words, how they came to be. It all draws me in. And then also the way that words can be used in so many different ways, right? Words can be daggers. Words can bring comfort. Words can be paintbrushes, expressions of love, anger, sorrow, empathy, mystery. Words can feel like a feeble attempt And words can be a profound gesture. I think one of the most ironic rhymes that we learn from when we're a young age and one that we're familiar with is um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It was coined sometime in the early 1800s, and and this rhyme that almost even becomes a mantra, an easily repeated phrase, It isn't really true, is it? Especially for the one who needs to say it. In reading about it, I learned that it was intended to bring, to build and bring resiliency, to to strengthen the hearer or the speaker of those words, but strengthen them against what? Obviously, against the powerful potential of painful words, words that so many people depend upon for communication. We can't can't really avoid words, whether they're verbal, through sign language, or even technologically assisted means of communication. Another phrase that we're all likely familiar with is, a picture is worth a thousand words. In the early 1900s, this phrase started appearing in advertisements on the sides of buses and in newspapers, all promoting, of course, sales of newspapers and especially newspapers that were adding photographs. I thought it was interesting to learn this, that the push of this quote came from newspapers, though, right? Peddlers of words. And to increase the credibility for this marketing slogan, Folks tried to claim that it was an ancient proverb attributed to Confucius. It isn't. But there is an interesting Chinese saying that could be the reason they tried to claim this connection. The actual ancient expression is this quote, hearing something a hundred times isn't better than seeing it once. 
And this is a phrase I can get behind. I can definitely get behind it. Experiences, whether we see them or we feel them, or we in some way live through them ourselves, they're, they're so much more powerful than the words that could describe the experience. In the classic, and I use that word a little loosely, but in the classic 1980s film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the film's protagonists, Bill and Ted, are two goofy, underachieving high school students who've spent way too much time focused on rock and roll and everything else that goes with it, and not enough time on their schoolwork. They're on the verge of being kicked out of school if they fail an upcoming history test. And if they fail, they're going to be separated. These best friends will be separated because one will be sent off to military school by his parents. And these two end up through some strange circumstances and with the help from the future, with some help from a man from the future, they end up going back in time. And when they go back in time, they collect historical figures like Genghis Khan, Billy the Kid, Napoleon, Socrates, and a bunch of others. And they bring all of these people back into the present time. These seemingly unengaged students have been asked to present a report on how historical figures would respond to the modern times. And at the outset, they had no clue. They had no idea. But then here they are. They bring these figures. They bring these people back. And I, I don't want to spoil the film for you. I, I'm not even sure I'd recommend it, but you probably should watch it. But Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is, it's an adventure that I actually often want to have, particularly when I'm reading the words of the Bible or hearing a story uh, from someone that, uh, even someone that I love. I try to imagine. I try to see it. I want to experience that moment. You know, have you ever noticed that the better you know someone the easier it is to imagine their stories. Just the other day, I was sitting and talking with a friend who was telling me stories from their childhood. I truly felt that I could see the story being told. I could imagine the setting, but more importantly, I could hear changes in my friend's voice, changes in his tone and the way he was telling the story, changes that indicated emotion and gravity. The words took on more color because they were connected to his emotions, even if those emotions were unspoken. And because of our friendship and our history, I could sense these things. Words, you see, are powerful. Choices of words are powerful. The use of words is powerful. And while in some ways I want to be like Bill and Ted, the reality of our experiences is that we have to rely on the stories of others for so much of what we know. We have to rely on the words of others, and we too have the great power of choosing our words, of, of, of using our words to communicate, to describe, to share, to invite others into our experiences. And this also helps us to be open to those experiences more deeply, not just because we want to share them with others, but because we want to remember them. I love photography, and I, I had a time in my life when I would seek out any opportunity I could to take a day or two or even a few days to take photos, primarily nature photos. I still love doing it. 
But at some point I had to put down the camera to stop looking at the world through the viewfinder and to put down the camera and experience the moment and to make memories that I could then recount without the use of a picture. I had this strange experience one time of realizing that I had spent the day taking photos and I felt like I missed so much going on all around me because I was focused on capturing the perfect frame. My photos absolutely told their own story, but at the cost sometimes of my experience. I think there are other things that make it hard for us to remember, hard to capture, hard to tell the stories of our experiences. Sometimes this is defensive as we protect ourselves from the reality of our experience. We might even cover a painful story with humor to recapture the story with words that might attempt to even change the history. But when we undertake the process of truth-telling, when we are passionately devoted to painting the picture with words, to seeking to bridge the divide between us by sharing something of our experience with others, it takes work, it takes effort. But this work is important. Finding our words is important because our words become that bridge to understanding. And through that understanding, we begin to find ways to grow closer to others. And then growing closer to others, shedding the protective layers for the benefit of honest connection, we then grow closer to God. Perhaps even more importantly, when we begin to get in this habit of finding our words with others and with ourselves, we become more open to experiencing and even articulating the ways that God is working in our lives. We become tuned more to experiencing God when we learn of how God is working in the lives of others, in the stories of others. The Holy Spirit is present in our stories. This is Pentecost. This is what Pentecost is and why it was so important. We really have very few words about Pentecost in scripture. And throughout church history, and especially in modern history, there have been so many responses to the mystery of Pentecost, most of which involve a flair for the dramatic and trying to recreate this mysterious moment using various creative means. And, and I love creative elements in church, and I think it can be great and memorable fun. Pentecost in particular, though, has generated a lot of imagery that I think misses or misconstrues much of the point of this text. I want to share with you just a portion of this morning's text. I'm going to read to you just from the first part of Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is really it. 
the text of that Pentecost moment. Now, our scripture reading and the full text through verse 21, like I said at the outset, is in the bulletin, and of course it's in your Bible. And it continues with the impact of that moment, the, the discussion of all that happened after this scene, and then with Peter, now the leader of this new Christian population. And remember, this is just 50 days after Christ's resurrection, and only 10 days after Christ ascends to heaven. The church is still so young and, and not even really a church yet. In fact, it will become known as the way throughout the book of Acts. The way. The way is new, and Peter is its new leader, and Peter tells the story trying to explain what has happened. The words of Luke, the writer of Acts, are trying to tell the story too. And Luke is choosing his words trying to paint with words to help us understand the experience, the moment, to help us see since we can't go there like Bill and Ted and we can't experience ourselves exactly what happened on this mysterious day. And, and so Luke is writing and he tells us that they were all gathered, the disciples, the friends, the followers of the way, just 10 days after Jesus ascended into this new chapter, they have gone, people from various places, disciples, ones who were confused and uncertain and wondering what was going to come next. They were gathered. They were together in one place when suddenly from heaven there came a sound, a sound Luke describes as being like the rush of a violent wind. Uh, another version of scripture, another version of scripture says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. I remember one time I was hearing of a church that, that used leaf blowers, gas-powered leaf blowers in the sanctuary on Pentecost, perhaps at the risk of blowing wigs or hats clear across the room. You see, they were trying to simulate the wind. But did you notice that Luke chooses his words carefully here? And perhaps we've inserted something more understandable into the story, but, but there is no wind. Perhaps the lack of wind is what has grasped me so tightly in this text and held me so tightly to the power of words and the choices of words and the painting of the scene because there is no wind. And yet there is the experience of this sound that is what one interpretation says is a noise like a strong driving wind that filled the entire house. All of these sounds of wind without the wind itself. The Holy Spirit was present in that moment in a sound and then in language. Languages of all the people who were gathered, the onlookers, the onlisteners, languages spoken by women and men and by people from all places and races, languages that were different and yet all could understand. Languages and words that were uniting people instead of causing division and confusion. Holy Spirit was present, and Luke tells the story of the experience of the Holy Spirit in a way that is, well, it's, it's fantastic, and it's also very hard to imagine. And he uses these similes, comparisons with like and as. He, he tries to bring us into the experience of the moment to better understand what has been experienced by others. 
my friends, we have got to do the same thing. If we are to truly experience God's gift to us in the Holy Spirit, we need to be willing and ready to experience the Holy Spirit and to hear the stories of others having experiences of God in their lives. The Holy Spirit is in your stories, even if you can't see it. Even if you can't see it yourself, and even if you've given up on waiting for a sound like a violent wind in your life, the Holy Spirit is in your stories, and we are invited to gather with others in worship, in study, in celebration, in our tears, over meals, at bedsides, in backyards, to gather with others and experience the ways that God is ready to show up in our lives today so that we might find the words to invite others into our stories, stories of God's love for us, God's love for them, and God's love for all of creation. Words, experiences, and even pictures and drawings, all of these are ways that God is revealed continually in our lives. And our gift Our gift and our burden is to be willing to be a part of God's continued revelation, God's continued story of love, of redemption, God's continued acts of healing, God's continued comforting, caring, compassion. God is ready to stir among us, with us, through us. Friends, may we be ready. May we be willing. May we be able to find our words to tell our stories, to experience God in new and meaningful ways. And may we be able to do this with others on the journey, fellow travelers, fellow storytellers, fellow lost and lonely, redeemed and raised up. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.